Welcome to the Way Church Podcast. The Way Church exists to love God, love others, and make disciples. You can find out more about the Way Church at thewaychurchrva.com. Now we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Good morning, everyone. My name is Lisa Davis, and I serve on the hospitality team at the church, <laughs> which we are always looking for more folks. So if you would like to serve with us, please let me know. Get connected. We'd love it. <laughs> this morning, I am reading from Matthew chapter 15, verses 10 through 11. Summoning the crowd, he told them, listen and understand. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for bringing us here. We thank you for worship. We thank you for the privilege it is to worship you, Father. So right now we ask that you move and lead us in worship. Help us to see you more clearly. Remove any barriers or stumbling blocks or distractions and help us really to worship you in spirit and in truth. We thank you, Father. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, church, may have a seat. How are we doing? We got one person doing all right. I'm waiting for someone to yell out one time, uh, very mediocre. Anybody? Yeah, man. Happens. Listen, we're continuing our series called Stories. What we're looking at is various stories that Jesus tells, what we call parables. And he gives these stories as teaching moments. And so we're walking through various parables, stories that we see Jesus tells. And so today we're going to be in Matthew 15. So I invite you to go and grab your Bibles, your tablets, your phones, whatever you guys use to read God's Word. We're going to be in Matthew 15. And we'll be in verse 10 here in a minute, but we'll give some background. And it's interesting, as I was thinking about this recently, we had one of our members have to go in for a heart procedure. And so I had the privilege to go and meet with this member before the procedure happened. And just an opportunity to pray with and for and just be there, right? And this heart procedure, what was happening was a stent was needed to put in because there was an artery blocked. And so afterwards, come to find out, that 99% of the artery was blocked. And that's a severe heart problem. I think we'd all agree. But as I was thinking about that, it brings us to our text this morning that as severe as that is, we're going to talk about something that is even more severe of a heart problem that we all have, that we all have to deal with, and how Jesus fixes and cures our heart condition. Which brings us to Matthew 15, and before we get to verse 10, some background, what happens that Lisa just read, is that the Pharisees and the scribes come to Jesus, these are the religious leaders, and they approach him with this question, and it really wasn't a question, it was an accusation. They said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they don't wash their hands when they eat. Which one might say, Gross. It's interesting, the tradition of the elders, it refers to the teachings consisting of the comments on the law, interpretation of the law, and the rules in a detailed fashion of behavior as it pertains to the law. And just for reference, the law really refers to the first five books of what we call our Old Testament. And so what they were simply saying here is that eating with dirty hands would cause a person to be defiled, meaning to be separated from God because of being unclean. And so Jesus doesn't rush to defend his disciples. 
which is interesting. And I just wonder, like, if there's a side conversation that the Bible doesn't give us insight to, to where Jesus calls his disciples aside and be like, fellas, for real? Wash the hands, man. It's not what we see here. Just sanctified imagination is one of those things. What he does do, he comes to, not the defense of disciples, but comes after the wrong teachings of the religious leaders. In verse 6, he says, you have nullified the word of God because of your tradition. It's interesting, this word nullified can also mean voided. Hey, let me ask you this, because I think uh, we're familiar. Who knows what this thing is? A check. It's like a dinosaur, right? Like, what is that? It's a check. Checks are good if they're made out from the right person, signed by the right person, because you give you access to the right amount of resources that you need. But what happens if you put void all across the check? It makes this check worthless. It voids it out. It's no longer good for anything. And here, Jesus is telling the, the religious leaders that you have voided out, nullified the word of God because of your traditions. In verse 7, he says, hypocrites. You hypocrites. He references the prophet Isaiah. He says, Isaiah prophesies correctly about you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines human commands. And what they have done, they've taken their traditions and elevated them to be equal or superior to God's own word. It's so interesting, this word hypocrites literally means like one who wears a mask. Referring to someone who'd be an actor or a pretender in a play. Pretending or acting to be like someone else. And Jesus continues to get on these religious leaders for their their wrong heart posture is what it comes down to. Continues to call them hypocrites. In Matthew 23, he says, they do everything to be seen by others. And he calls them whitewashed tombs. He says they're beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, they're full of dead bones. Hypocrites. Pretending to be something that you're not. Now, the point we're going to start, start taking out through this is that like then, today, there are many people trying to fake it until they make it. But you can't fake it before God. The fake you is doing just fine in front of others. But the problem is God sees the heart. And that's what we're going to start peeling back this morning together. Is that the true you starts in the heart. So if you're taking notes, you can title this sermon, Starts in the Heart. Starts in the heart. And the Pharisees and the scribes, these religious leaders, they had a heart problem. Now, what I want to put before us this morning, because I think we can rush in here without really doing some good self-evaluation by the power of the Holy Spirit asking ourselves, do we? Do we have a heart problem? Do you have a heart problem? Which brings us to verse 10. It says, summoning the crowd... He, being Jesus, told them, listen and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. So now he starts talking about what is really at hand here. What really causes a person to be unclean before God, unapproachable before God, separated before God? 
It's interesting, I was, I was thinking about this. One, I think there's only one thing in the world outside of God's everlasting love and faithfulness that is equally as long. Twinkies. <laughs> Twinkies will be around forever. This world will pass away. Heaven and Twinkies will remain. Things in the Bible somewhere. But what's being said here is that it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, right? I wash my hands. I wash my hands. That's not where I'm going at here. Like, you know, wash your hands, you're going to eat. I wash my hands. But like, three seconds, right? So Frank, come here and eat this. Oh, it's got real, right? No one in this room is going to eat this Twinkie right now. But I am. I'm just kidding. No. That'd be gross. We all know that. Gross. Yet, as gross and dirty as that is, and I would be extremely gross me eating it, that still, regardless of what you think, would not separate me from the Lord. What goes into your mouth doesn't cause you to be defiled. It's what comes out, what Jesus says. What comes out of your mouth, and this took a whole other context for me this week as my whole family has been dealing with this stomach bug. I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about here. What comes out of your mouth, that, not in that way. Yeah, I, I, I debate that a little bit. So what is Jesus talking about? And this is what the disciples end up coming to him. Like, what are you talking about? And so in verse 12, he, the disciples come and they told him, do you know that the Pharisees took offense when they heard what you said? Which is interesting. Notice that the scribes and Pharisees, it wasn't that Jesus was tactless. But it was the truth that was offensive. The truth that was triggering. And don't miss this. Let it be the truth given in gentleness and grace that may offend others. Not your abrasive attitude. Make sense? Two completely different heart postures. Truth is truth. Some people reject it and are going to be offended by it. But if we're given in grace... And gentleness, that's different than just trying to prove a point. Romans 12, verse 18, I would encourage us to carry this along with us this year. Romans 12, 18 says this. says, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Meaning, do all that you can do to live at peace with others. But the point is, there will still be people who will still not like you. Just because of whatever reason they want to create. Literally, I remember this, it was eighth grade. Eighth grade, I was at a track and field event in my middle school. And literally, I was walking, and I had another kid, I had no idea who he was, come up to me, and wanted to fight me. Because he just saw me walk. No other reason. I didn't know him, never had a conversation with him, he knew nothing about me, didn't even go to my school. Now, I did have an attitude. I wasn't quite the greatest kid, so I didn't handle that very well. But yet the problem was I did nothing to instigate this kid wanting to fight me. 
well, of course. No, I, I didn't end up fighting him. He was a lot bigger than me. But how that plays into us is that we are called to, as far as, as much as it depends on us, to live at peace with everyone. But still, there's going to be people that just don't like you for you. And mainly not going to like you because of Jesus. So take this, despite your traffic situation, live at peace with everyone as much as it depends on you. Or despite the political season, live at peace with everyone as much as it depends on you. And Jesus replies to this, this, this statement that the Pharisees and the scribes were offended. He says in verse 13, Every plant that my heavenly Father didn't plant will be uprooted. Leave them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind guide the blind, both will fall into a pit. It's interesting for those who were here last week, and if you weren't, shame on you. I'm just kidding. But for real, shame on you. you it's, it's a reach back to what we see in Matthew 13. This wheats and weeds. See, the weeds were planted and are influenced by the devil himself. And those will be uprooted and thrown into the burning fire. Matthew 13. So it seems to be Jesus reaching back to. And these blind guides is interesting. You've heard the phrase blind leading the blind. Well, it seems like this is what the Jews refer to themselves as a guide for the blind. And you can find that in Romans 2.19. A guide for the blind. But what Jesus twists is actually the blind leading the blind. You think you're helping, but you're just as blind as those you're trying to help. The helpless trying to lead the helpless. They're leading oriented from a wrong heart posture. That's what Jesus continues to point back to. This heart problem posture filled with pride and desire for power. And then Peter comes up to Jesus in, in true Peter fashion. Again, the one who speaks first, foremost, most often, and usually puts his foot in his mouth. But I like the people that, you know, if you're in a classroom and you don't know the answer, or you have a question, or you're confused, but you don't really want to raise your hand, I always appreciate someone else who does, right? Like, thank you, because I didn't want to be the fool that asked that. Peter said in verse 15, explain this parable to us. And Jesus' response do you still lack understanding? It's interesting, still. Do you still lack understanding? Apparently, these disciples should have known the significance of one's heart posture. Understand the difference between what does and what does not separate someone, make someone unclean before God. What is and what is not sin. They should have started knowing these differences. Really, the heart posture problem. It reminds me of many, like many of us today, oftentimes our attitudes and actions are shaped so much more by the culture and the world than by Christ and his words and ways. Let me just give some questions just to consider. Just a fun little just game this morning. Just consider this. Do you consider Christ, you don't have to raise your hand or anything, just consider do you consider Christ when deciding what to wear? Do you consider Christ when deciding what to watch? When deciding what to listen to? When deciding who to hang out with? When deciding where to hang out at? When deciding what to say or not to say? 
Do you consider Christ when deciding what to post or comment on or what not to? And just to be clear, this isn't legalism. This is wisdom. This is wisdom to simply slow down and consider Christ in view of his word and his ways. Jesus asks, do you still lack understanding? Verse 17, don't you realize, he says, don't you realize that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? I'm going to pause there real quick. Do we need clarification on this? We know what he's talking about? Literally, eliminated could be in the Greek toilet. Interesting. Passes into the mouth, into the toilet. But, he says, what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. And he says, this defiles a person. So now we're getting to what we're talking about. It's a heart problem. What comes out of the mouth originates in the heart. The difference between washing hands for physical cleanliness and spiritual cleanliness is what we're getting at. It's interesting, as I was thinking about this, a couple weeks ago, as many of you know, I'm into BMX racing with my older boys, and we're at a BMX race event. And it's a three-day event, races all day. And day one, I got into a crash and got pretty scraped up. So I was scraped up, I got all road rash, and so I was bandaging and cleaning. And it makes things worse. It's in a, this, this race is held, they build this racetrack inside of a horse stadium. I don't know what they're called. Horse complex. And so now I'm wondering, what's in this dirt? So that's in my mind, as I got these open little wounds on me. So the rest of the week, and I found myself in the bathroom a lot, cleaning and rebandaging, cleaning, rebandaging. What's interesting is that I saw countless people in the bathroom that go to the bathroom and then walk right past the sink, out the door. I'm like, man. I started fist pounding a lot more, right? A lot less handshakes that weekend. But according to these religious leaders, every person who passed by the sink, in other words, were on their way to eternal suffering and separation before God. They were unclean. And as disgusting as this might be or unsettling as this might seem, this condition of having nasty, dirty hands is still not enough to separate anybody from God. And take it even further, because I think this is a very surface level, like, yeah, I get that. How about thinking about the sin that you've seen or you've done? There is no sin that's ever been committed to outsin the grace of God. It's good news. Because the devil will tell you otherwise. Even this morning, some of you walked in after screaming at your kids in the parking lot, right? Let's just be honest. And the whispers you'll hear, like, really, you're going to praise God with the same mouth you just yell at your kids? And there's some truth in that, but yet there's some forgiveness in that as well. It's not your dirty hands or even a dirty Twinkie that makes you unclean. It's a dirty heart. It's a heart posture problem. The true you starts in your heart. Sin starts in your heart. And to be clear, your words are a window into your heart. Have you thought about that before? Your words are a window to what's going on inside you. James touches on this. James chapter 3. He says, with the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in God's likeness. 
Blessing and cursing come from the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? The answer is no. So how can we bless the Lord and then go just tear down our coworkers on Monday? These things are contradictory. And what James is pointing to, it's a heart problem that creates what words we use. And so consider this. What does what you say say about your heart? What does what you say say about your heart? Again, you got to bear with me because I, I got three spheres in my life. Family, faith, and race. That's what I do, right? So all my illustrations come from family, my faith, or racing. It was interesting that same race, I was hanging out at the finish line just watching the races finish while I was waiting. And this kid finished, he lost, and he had to be like 10. And soon he's past the, the, the finish line. He stopped and started banging his head against the handlebars, crying and cussing. Cussing and cussing and cussing. I'm sitting there just kind of taken back. I'm like, my goodness. And I heard so many cuss words. It's interesting. What does that say? Like, think about you. If you saw a 10-year-old just cussing up a storm and throwing a fit, what would you think about said 10-year-old? You don't have to say it. I know what you think. I was thinking it. I'm like, man, what a brat. What is his parents like? And I'm thinking, man, I've been like that. Maybe not the same way. My heart posture's been similar. A lot of questions are, is, is cussing a sin? It's interesting. Because the Bible doesn't say, thou shalt not say this specific word. Like, words are cultural. There was a, uh, my son had a question about this, this group. It's a, it's a Christian rap group and that same name he saw another album that said explicit next to it that seems weird like why would that be explicit if it's a Christian rap group so I was like maybe it's not the same so I listened to it and it wasn't the same it was all in French so I had no idea what they're saying which is interesting because they could have just been cussing up a storm wasn't offended at all didn't affect me I had no idea what they were saying but people in that language know. So it's interesting. Cuss words are kind of a, a funny thing. Yet, the Bible talks about foul language. And when we think about that, we're very quick on kids not to use certain words. Why? Because words matter. Words indicate something else. Ephesians 4 verse 29 says, No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for the building up of someone in need. So it gives grace to those who hear. So my question is for us to consider is what comes out of our mouth, flows from our heart. So is foul language or graceful words what we spew? Tearing down or building up? Again, the point is what comes out of your mouth is a window to what's in your heart. It's interesting, the Bible uses the word heart similar to like what we do. But think about how we use the word heart. Brokenhearted. Right? Usually first some kind of romantic relationship that went south. Maybe eat your heart out to be jealous or 
envious of someone else. Follow your heart to do and to believe what is right. From the bottom of my heart, indicating sincerity, being half-hearted, not doing or taking something seriously enough. How about take heart, meaning have courage. Change of heart means to change your mind. And bless your heart. You know this one? You're too much of a moron to see where you messed up. That's what that means. Well, bless their heart. It's not a term of endearment. It's not encouragement. Maybe not quite far south enough, but anyway, the heart is indicating both heart and mind in all of these statements. It's connecting the intellect and emotions. It brings our whole being together. Do we see that? And it's how the Bible uses the word heart over and over again. It's not just an emotion. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5 is called the Shema. It's like the John 3.16 of the Old Testament is what that is. It says, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Jesus then takes that when the question, like, what's the greatest command? Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Heart and mind are connected. And we see this through the whole Bible. It means to be happy. In Judges chapter 16, it says, when they were good in spirits. Spirits means heart. Same word. Can indicate desires that we have. In 2 Samuel 7, Nathan told the king, go and do what is on your mind. Same word as heart. Decision making in 1 Kings 3 says, so give your servant a receptive heart to judge your people and discern between good and evil. This judging and discerning. Ecclesiastes 8.5, the one who keeps the command will not experience anything harmful, but a wise heart knows the right time and procedure. And so we start seeing the heart and mind is this total being of who you are, which then drives the gravity of what we see. The Bible talk about how it talks about the condition of our heart. Jeremiah 17.9 and 10, it says the heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, examine the mind. That's the same word as heart, for heart. I test the heart to give each according to his ways, according to what his actions deserve. And so we start seeing the condition that we're born in, this condition of a wicked heart, a bad heart. Which is what Jesus points to here back in Matthew 15. Verses 19 and 20. He says, from the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, thefts, false testimonies, slander. He says, these are the things that defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile a person. Stop focusing on what is not and start focusing on what is. Where's the problem at? The problem starts in the heart. And so what we need, we need a heart procedure. And this is a spiritual procedure that we need. We all need this. If we're honest enough to pray, the psalmist prays in Psalm 51, verse 10. It says, God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. We all need that God to create a clean heart because we have and we're born with a bad heart. And this is where the gospel changes the heart. This is the heart procedure that we need God to do. 
2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Total new creation. This isn't a reconstruction. It's a total new creation, including a new heart. So how do you become in Christ? Because this is where people for in Christ people become a new creation. Well, Ephesians 1.13 answers. It says, in him, being Jesus, you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed it. At the moment you believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through him. The moment you believe that Jesus lived a life that you couldn't live to pay the price that you couldn't pay, that it is death because of sin, he chose to take your place, death on the cross, buried, three days, resurrected, conquering sin and death, so whoever would believe in him has eternal life, and that life starts at the moment you believe and lasts forever, that new creation, you are a new you in Christ Jesus at the moment you believe. I'm asking, do you believe that? This is the good news. And this changes everything. Gives us a new heart, which then fuels how we are to trust with our heart. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Again, in context, all of your heart, your mind, all of your being, trust in the Lord and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways know him and make he will make your path straight. And so we have this heart condition and we're made new in a new heart because of our faith in Christ Jesus and now we're called to guard our hearts. Guard them. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it is a source of life. So I'm asking, how are you guarding your heart? Again, sin starts in the heart. The true you starts in your heart. This is what Jesus points at in Matthew 5. He says, You've heard it said, Do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So how are you guarding yourself from adultery, but also how are you guarding yourself from lust, the thought of adultery? It starts way before you commit the sin. The sin starts from within. It starts in your heart. He says, you've heard it said, do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Anger, this sensing, this feeling that starts from within, heart and mind. The action is sin, but the sin starts well before the action. It starts in the heart. So how are you guarding your heart? We do okay, I think, for the most part, of guarding our heart from saturated fats. We know that's bad. I'm not so sure we do well from guarding our heart from spiritual attacks. And it's noteworthy that entry to the heart spiritually is through the eyes and ears. So how are you guarding your eyes and ears? How are you guarding your heart? Definitely through your lips affects your hips, right? But spiritually, not your heart. Our heart already has a condition, so how are we guarding it? Think through how what we see and hear affects who we are how we feel, how we think. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes from what is heard. 
You know what else does? Fear. Matthew 5, Jesus says, If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away, for it's better that you lose one of the parts of the body than your whole body be thrown into hell. And people are like, you know what, Jesus probably didn't really mean that. They're just, you know, going a little above to, to make a point. You know what I think? I think Jesus meant it. I think it's better for you to be blind than to be cast into hell because you can't fix your sin and you're trying to. You stumble and stumble, stumble trying to find your own way. I think this is better. The point is, how are we guarding what we watch and what we listen to? This isn't legalism, this is wisdom. How are you guarding your hearts? We have a heart problem. Sin is a condition that starts in our heart. The mind, our inner person, which is manifested through our thoughts, actions, and words. In other words, the production of our heart publicizes who we are in private. It's going to come out. This is just so... I have the gift of unsolicited advice. It's getting stronger as I get older. So here it is. So we, we give dating advice in our household, and I'm not going to say, like, you should do things like this, but what I do say for our kids that will be dating is get to know the person, right? We all in agreement there? Don't rush into it. We're so quick to give away our hearts, right? Just give some time, but give it time in different situations and different circumstances. So I encourage our kids, be around them, around a group of friends. Be around them with their family. Be around them in moments that are maybe a little more stressful. Be around them in moments that are fun. Be around them when you're by yourself. And give it time in these different circumstances. Be around them in these different ways over time, and you'll see the true them will come out. You can only fake it, but for so long. And so by the time my daughter's about 40, I think she'll probably find maybe the right guy. But this is, just to be clear, this is much more about just watching the words you use. This is watching what's harboring in your heart. Because that's what comes out. The heart will expose, will be exposed. It will cut through the fake to the factual. But you know what's in your heart. You know what goes on in your mind. The Bible talks about a lot of times the the war, the battle is waged in our minds. Heart and mind are connected. So what's your heart harboring? Only you know that. But it does come out from time to time for others to see, doesn't it? Is it harboring jealousy, anger, hatred, selfishness, impatience? And this is what's really got me. Impatience. Like, what comes out of my mouth when I'm impatient is something different than I want to. But it's a window to what's going on inside. Do you ever say things that you regret? Of course. Of course you do. What I'm here to say is stop it. No, I'm just kidding. The point is we do, but don't be okay. Be like, oh, that's just how I am. I just say things flippantly. What's going on in your heart? That's just who I am. I'm just blunt. Well, stop. Stop being rude. Like, ask God to fix that because that ain't good. And what you're showing by what you're saying says a lot. So what are you showing by the words you're saying? What are you showing around home, around school, the workplace, recreation, 
What are you showing on Interstate 64? Or when you go to the store? By the words you're saying. Let me ask this. Are you out of line online? Because it's not always words. Now words come through our fingers, don't they? Our thoughts come through our thumbs. Like, think about that. It's the words we use. And watch how you talk about people. We walk this slim line of slandering far too often, if we're honest. Carry that with you when you engage in conversations this year. All the conversations, but the conversations are going to ramp up. I'm going to continue to push this. And I'm sorry, not sorry if you get tired of hearing this. But carry this with you as you engage in conversations about political candidates and the people who vote for them. Man, I'm t- be involved in voting. Praise God we have the freedom. But don't be involved in slandering. Because, man, we walk that fine line. And don't let it evolve into disunity. We're Christians. That matters a whole lot. We're disciples of Jesus. Not disciples of Biden or whoever else is going to come out there. The point is, and I go back to 1 Corinthians 10.31 a lot. Maybe something you want to write down as well. Romans 12, 19, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Essentially says, do everything for the glory of God. I wonder if we're going into every day saying, you know, today I'm striving. My desire is to do everything for the glory of God. And I'm afraid we're not even thinking about that. Everything is a lot of things. I go back to the list that we just briefly went through. What you wear, what you watch, what you listen to, who you hang out with, where you go. These things. Are we glorifying God as we go? God sees and evaluates the heart, the inner person. The Lord sees what's going on within, these inclinations and intentions that leads to our actions. 1 Samuel 16 says, Humans do not see what the Lord sees, for the human sees what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. It starts in the heart. God cares about your heart posture. You can do all the right things. These religious leaders did all the right things. You can go to church every single Sunday. You can, go to do, you can go help the homeless like they did yesterday. Like we did yesterday, partnering with Courage to Care. You can go do all these things. You can do all these wonderful things. You can be involved in the sub team. Praise God, the AV team who did everything right this morning. We still had AV problems. It's equipment. You can do all these things, but your heart can be far from them. You come to worship and sing praises with the most beautiful voice, and God sees your worship as vain because your heart isn't for him. We can just go through the motions. The sin starts in our heart, and that's where we need God to step in and intervene. I'm asking, asking God this morning just to reveal some things in our heart that maybe we didn't know was there. But God can cure those things. But God's the only one who can make us clean. Let me close with this. I was thinking about this concept. and So our backyard of the house just holds water. That thing does not drain. And so it's a constant mud pit in the wintertime. It just doesn't dry, it doesn't drain, it's a mess. Which the combination of that is a lot of fun because my kids love the mud. They love it. My little guys just go swim in it. No matter if you say, hey, let's avoid the mud, it ain't going to happen. So they go out and get all muddy, but then they want to come inside. And that ain't happening. They're not coming to my house all muddy. I may have a touch of OCD, just a touch. And I would simply say, 
hose yourselves off before you come in. But listen, I got a three-year-old, a four-year-old. Let's just be honest. They're not going to do well. They might hose off their hand, and they're just a muddy mess. So that ain't going to work. They can't clean themselves up enough to come inside my house. They want to, but I'm not going to let them until they get clean. And they can't clean themselves up. So what do we do? I tell Rachel, go clean the kid. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I go out there and I hose them down, clean them up, change the clothes. And you know I'm getting messy too. You can't hose them off and not expect to get wet and messy yourself. The point is, I had to do what they could not do themselves. And as I was thinking about this, this is exactly what the Father, God the Father, does for us. We can't clean ourselves up enough to be in a right relationship with him, to be clean enough. And so he did what we couldn't do. Stepped off the throne, out of heaven, and walked among this filth to bear our sin and shame so that everyone who believes in him is clean, has eternal life, has been cleansed. The Bible says the blood of the Lamb, the blood of Christ cleanses us. That's what that means. Because you couldn't do it yourself, so stop trying. We say it all the time, give up. Stop trying to make yourself good enough or clean enough. Come to Jesus with all your junk and all your garbage and all your sin and let God change your desires of your heart because that's what he does. And this is a place for that. Just to be honest, you can come in here and say, I am blessed and highly favored and your life looks like a burning trash heap. The fake you is doing just fine. What would it look like to be a church that we could just be who we are and actually bear each other's burdens? To bear one of those burdens means you have to share burdens. Now, I'm not asking us to be Debbie Downers all the time, right? Every time we talk to someone, I'm just doing awful, my world's awful. But can we be real? That's different. I'm going to invite our band back up. I'm going to close with this. I referenced it earlier. John 3.16. It's popular for a reason. Because it's good. And it's true. For God so loved the world in this way that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but has everlasting life. This new life, this new creation in him. So I'm asking you, do you believe? And for those that do believe, I'm asking you just to search and ask God to search what is within you and to reveal those things those heart posture problems within us and remedy them, solve them, give us strength over them, remove those things that do not glorify and please him. And come to Jesus again and again and again, not for a heart stint, but for a whole new heart. That's what he does. And this is the truth of scripture and this is life change. So we're going to respond like we do every single Sunday. And that response simply could be you just sitting there praying and doing business with what God's laying on your heart between you and him as we sing this last response worship song. For many others, you'll be standing and singing praises. Maybe you need to gather with someone else and just pray. And just be real, it's like, I'm dealing with this. I need God to move in this way and have someone pray for you. We're a praying people. We have a prayer team to the side. We love to pray with you and pray for you because you weren't meant to do life alone. That's the beauty of having a faith family. We're in this together by God's design.
Whatever God's doing, I'm just going to invite you to respond by the prompting of the Holy Spirit in this place, in this moment, right now. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to ask you to respond. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for bringing us here. We thank you for the goodness of your grace. And this is a reminder of how good you are. Though we were just sinners in need of a Savior, filthy and dirty, Father, you still loved us anyway, proving your own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, help us to stop trying to be fixers of our own habits and issues, solvers of our own sin. Help us just to run to you with all of our mess, all of our filthiness, all of our mud, and come to you, Father, as a good Father who is ready to wash and cleanse all who come to you. Remind us of how good you are. Forgive us where we've fallen short, but remind us of who we are in you. So even when we stumble and fail, we don't stay there because of who you are. You pick us up. You dirt, clean us off. You dry us off. And we are going to walk with you being a new creation, a new heart because of you, Jesus. Lord, you're worthy of all the worship and you're worthy of all our life. So help us just to follow you in boldness and faithfulness and joy because of who you have made us to be in you, the newness that we have. We thank you, Father. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Way Church Podcast. If you would like prayer or if you'd like to talk to someone about a personal relationship with Jesus, please contact us through our website at thewaychurchrva.com.